greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Open the pod bay doors, Al. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. You dance with the devil in the pale moonlight. What? You'll shoot your eye out, kid. The price is wrong, bitch. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. Now, as always, this is your host, Patrick. I don't think I've ever officially announced that because when I started this, uh, everyone that was following me on Twitter before I changed the name over to the podcast name knew who I was. So uh, apologies if you didn't know that beforehand. I know we've been doing this for almost a year now, and I don't think I've actually fully done that. Uh, But we have a special episode of the podcast, uh, as uh, I announced on Twitter earlier this week. Actually, I think it was last week, um, since we did our Picard episode, which has been doing pretty well. I've been very pleased to see the numbers we've been getting on that, um, that I would release a special episode. Now, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to cover everything that I really wanted to talk about um, on this episode but I am going to briefly mention a few movies that I believe most are currently streaming um, for free on either Amazon, uh, actually probably only on Amazon because I know that's where I, I've seen them, uh, and then one which will be our main feature review that we're going to be talking about, which is probably going to take up the most of this podcast episode, uh, is currently streaming on Vudu. Uh, for free with ads. So if you don't own the copy of that movie or can't find a copy of that movie, uh, you can go there, look it up, and watch it. I know watching with ads isn't an ideal uh, situation, but if you're intrigued enough by this uh, film, then I definitely recommend you go check it out, especially if you haven't heard of it before. So before we get into that and before we play the trailer like the usual... um, I want to mention some movies that, because the main feature review is going to be more on the horror end of things, and I do have a couple other recommendations in the horror spectrum for Valentine's Day, Um, but uh, I want to go ahead and kind of go with some kind of traditional slash non-traditional movies uh, to watch with your significant other or uh, with some friends to kind of celebrate the holiday. Um, So one I I want to talk about, because this is a movie that... I absolutely love. And I remember coming across it in Blockbuster when I was in college and uh, when Blockbusters were still around. And the title just kind of grabbed me because it seemed so weird that a movie would be called this. And um, also finding out later it was actually part of a short story collection, which I intend to read and I still need to buy it because 
Uh, I really love this movie, and I really want to know how the actual short story is written. But that is Risk Cutters, A Love Story. Now, I get it. That title is probably not necessarily appealing. Uh, And maybe even the premise of the film might not be appealing for you either. But the premise of the film is a film set in a strange afterlife way station that has been reserved for people who have committed suicide. Um, So that's just a very brief synopsis of it. Uh, In this film, you have Patrick Fugit, who plays Zia, the main character. You have Shea Wiggum, uh, who plays Eugene. Will Arnett's in there. Tom Waits, who plays Neller. Uh, you have Leslie Bibb, who plays Desiree. Mark Boone Jr.'s in it. Uh, and Shannon Sossaman, who I'm currently trying to find here on IMDb on this because she, for some reason, is not at the front top of the cast, which I would think she would be considering. She's a very important character in the movie. Uh, Mikhail. Uh, and... So the kind of thing with this movie and why it might be kind of actually an appropriate movie to watch for Valentine's Day, despite its title, uh, is so Zia is kind of very despondent. Um, the movie opens up with him playing a, uh, funnily enough, uh, a Tom Waits song. And if you're not a Tom Waits fan or never listen to Tom Waits music, you need to check him out. It's not your typical music um, or at least vocals. But it is it is so good. It is so good. Um, Rain Rain Dog is probably my favorite album by him, and he does such a good job in this film as well. But uh, Zia is kind of cleaning up his apartment. Uh, we don't quite know why. And after he gets everything clean, he slits his wrists. And as he's dying, he sees. Uh, that there's one speck of dirt that he missed. And so he kind of is upset that he missed that before passing away. Uh, Then he wakes up basically in what is it? Just another version of Earth, but it's more dull. And it's just like, it's probably the worst type of punishment for people who commit suicide. But regardless of that fact, he makes friends with Eugene. um, And he learns later on or earlier on in the film that Desiree played by Leslie Bibb, uh, who was his girlfriend that broke up with him when he was alive, committed suicide shortly after he did. And that now she's in this place as well. So he and Eugene decide to go on like a road trip to try to find her. And Eugene's car is, is fantastic. He has a headlight that won't work and a, weird vortex portal that is under one of the seats that if you drop anything down there, it just magically disappears. Uh, so as they're on their way, kind of journeying out towards, uh, out West, they come across Mikhail, uh, played by Shannon Sossaman. And she is got her own personal journey where she's trying to find the people in charge that her suicide was a mistake, that it wasn't something that she intended to do. And so you get this kind of fun, shared experience, road trip movie. It's very quirky. It's very fun. Um, I don't want to give like anything away about about how everything kind of ends up, but it, it really ends up being a kind of beautiful movie. And it's got a very good and I think important ending for, for people. So I, I have to absolutely recommend this if you've never seen it. Um, 
It is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. Uh, the novella is Neller's Happy Campers, which uh, I can't pronounce this guy's name. Edgar Carrot, I believe, might be his name. Uh, I, I do want to pick up that collection of, of stories from him and finally read this. I don't know why I've waited so long to do it. But it is definitely a a beautiful movie. And if you're not convinced by what I've talked about uh, briefly on this one, I would recommend you go to YouTube and play the trailer uh, and see if that might interest you. So um, another movie that this one's also an independent one. And this was one that like I kind of watched without um, kind of any knowledge beforehand. It, It showed up and it kind of like in a recommended on prime for me and um it's not a typical movie i think i would normally watch uh but i was like you know what let's uh let's see what this is about and so that is sam it's a 2015 independent film actually uh directed and written by nicholas brooks who is mel brooks son Uh, And so it's got some uh, bit of that Brooks humor to it. But the premise of it is, is an alpha New York City male is magically transformed into a beautiful girl, falls in love and learns what it means to be a woman. And this movie is just again, it's it's very independent. Um, It's it's got uh, some names that you would know in minor roles like Stacey Keach, who plays the shopkeeper, who is kind of the one responsible for the transformation. Uh, Morgan Fairchild has has a role in it. Um, and I think one of the reasons that this film works really well is uh, the actress who plays the female version of Sam, Natalie Knepp, um, because the, the male version of Sam, um, which I'm trying to find right now, uh, is he uh, Brock Brock Harris? He is only in the movie for a very short amount of time, uh, and he I didn't like him the first time I watched this. I was like, oh, this this guy's not really a good actor. I'm not really a, like a fan of what he's doing with this character. But then the second time I watched him, like that's the intent. That was the purpose. Like you are not supposed to like Sam at the beginning of the film. You're supposed to think he is a jerk. Uh, He is just this piece of trash that mistreats women, uh, is only out there for conquests, um, and really doesn't deserve his best friend, Doc, played by uh, Sean uh, Clyer. And so when the movie really starts picking up uh, and, and the transformation happens, and now you have Sam who's now having to kind of deal with this new shift in the paradigm for herself uh, and trying to adapt and now see things from a different perspective. I thought it was really interesting. And like I said, Natalie Knepp, who plays uh, Samantha, uh, does such a wonderful job with it. And she's so funny and and portrays the character really well that like it's it's very believable that like this is the mind of a man now trapped in a woman's body and um it's it ends in a way that i i didn't expect it to end i i I like it but at the same time there are some things that get set up earlier on in the film that like you kind of want to see it go in that direction but ultimately, I, I really do like this movie. It may not be the best one out there. It's definitely got that, like I said, it's low budget. It's got the low budget feel to it. Um, 
but it, it but it is kind of also an eye opener and and a different thing to like looking at kind of what is love or what does love mean to us uh, and kind of understanding uh, situations and scenarios from a different perspective. Um, there were things that I wish that they kind of did a little bit differently, but I still enjoy it and uh, I plan on watching it again here uh, soon. I was going to really kind of fully cover it for this episode, but I just kind of ran out of time to watch it. Um, so, yep, that one is also currently streaming on uh, Amazon Prime as well for free. Now, some of you are going to probably be familiar with this next film, and this is one of my all-time favorites and one that I go to pretty much all the time, um, especially when I have um, when I'm ha- not maybe having a good day when I'm thinking about certain things. And that's Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Um, if you're not familiar with this one, uh, the premise of this is like high school student Nick O'Leary, member of the queer core band The Jerk Offs, meets college bound Nora Silverberg when she asks him to be her boyfriend for five minutes. And that's just a very baseline plot of the film. I'm actually a little disappointed in seeing what its IMDb score is uh, currently, but uh, Nick, played by Michael Sarah, and Nora, played by Kat Dennings, they make this movie. And one of the other things I think that really makes this movie is the soundtrack. I have listened to the soundtrack over and over and over again. It's definitely the indie music scene. Um, It's songs that have meaning and soul to them, which I think is missing from like kind of pop modern uh, music. And I think that's one of the things that draws me to it. It's also based on a book and I've read the book. I haven't really decided which version of it I like more. Um, because I was really only introduced to the movie first. So usually when you're kind of introduced to a film version first, that's where your mind like latches on to being the better version or the better product because it's what your first exposure is to. Um, but then uh, when I found out it was a book and then I, f- I found the book, I picked it up. And I like how it kind of switches perspectives, but there are certain kind of plot narratives that are switched up a little bit. Uh, Both Nick and Nora aren't as, I think, um, not cookie cutter, but not as um, maybe admirable in their ventures as they kind of appear in the movie or more maybe noble. Um, I mean, the heart's still there and the meaning is still there, but there are some things that are just done a little bit differently. Um, but this has a great cast, great uh, soundtrack, and it's just a fun movie that uh, it's, it's it uplifts my spirits when I watch it. So I, I do see that if you have CBS All Access, you can watch it on there for free. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, I have to highly recommend that movie. Um, and one other one, and this is kind of going on a Michael Sarah type thing here right now that I would also recommend just for the fun of it is uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. And I don't know who is not aware of this film, but the, the premise of this one being Scott Pilgrim must defeat his new girlfriend's seven evil exes in order to win her heart. And this was adapted from... Um, a graphic novel kind of manga style type uh, adaptation. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley like kind of writes it as um, 
as like a, a manga style, but it's still like a normal like when you read it, it's not you're reading it from right to left or reading it from left to right. Um, now, the one problem that su- that this movie suffers from is the fact that he wasn't finished writing it when they made it into a movie. Um, so it uh, it really kind of suffers from that in the final act of the film when you see one version of it. And then when the book finally came out, it was completely different. And I don't. I don't know how I feel. I kind of wish that they would have delayed the movie until that was finished because then I would have liked to have seen at least that they tried to realistically adapt what Brian had originally intended. But for a film, it does fit um, for what they what they did with the movie version of it. And you have a wonderful cast in this as well. You have Michael Sarah as Scott. You have Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I love in about anything she's in. Uh, as Ramona, you have Kieran Culkin playing Wallace, Anna Kendrick as Stacy, Allison Pill as Kim, Aubrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman. Uh, I mean, you just have such a good cast. Uh, it's fun. It's goofy. It it has got another fun like soundtrack to it too. And if you're like a video game and pop culture nerd, you're gonna love this one right out the gate and I and it's an enjoyable one to watch with a significant other as well as uh, I think so those are going to do it for um, some recommendations that uh, to watch uh, for Valentine's Day I know I have like another one just popped in my head but I'm not going to go into it I'll save that for next year or for maybe another review down the way because that was a Netflix film that actually I really liked and I don't think because most critics don't like the Netflix movies now um, but this was one that was really enjoyable uh, and cute and I might actually try to watch it tomorrow because I I liked it so much Um, so now we're going to go ahead and go into and this will be spoiler filled uh, more so towards the end of uh, kind of the analysis or at least talking about what I took notes on because I rewatched it here before uh, recording so if you've not seen this movie and what you kind of hear about it and if it interests you I would highly recommend go ahead pause it if you don't want anything ruined Go to Voodoo, watch it uh, with with ads if you can, or if you own it, or find a way to get it or rent it. Highly recommend that you check this movie out, um, and that is 2001's Valentine. And I'm gonna go ahead and play the trailer for you guys. He loves me. Spend this Valentine's Day. He loves me not with someone you love. He loves me. Someone you trust. He loves me not. And someone you know. He loves me. Won't try to kill you. Will you dance with me? Dance with me? Dance with me? Remember the kid everybody ignored on Valentine's Day? Loser. Well, he remembers you. God, we were so horrible to that kid. What do you think happened to him?
All right, so let's talk about Valentine. So this movie, even though it's probably not one of the best movies ever made, has always kind of held a special place in my heart. Um, so it's one that I remember. Um, of course, I was too young to see it when it actually was in theaters. Uh, but once I was able to kind of get my hands on it and rent it on home video, I watched it hundreds of times. And I have actually the, I think it was the collector's edition that was just recently released by, I want to say it was Shout Factory uh, or Scream Factory, but I now currently own it. I watch it occasionally now. Um, but I got it, I think, last time in, in time for last year's Valentine's Day. So uh, this is definitely a, a classic to watch. And I realized that I, I missed some other ones I was going to recommend. But in, in the vein of like My Bloody Valentine or My Bloody Valentine 3D, uh, I, I think that those kind of make a nice like triple feature if you're in the horror mood for Valentine's Day to watch. Um I covered My Bloody Valentine and My Bloody Valentine 3D on Crystal's podcast and the Horror Nights M podcast last year. So if you kind of want to hear some of my thoughts and her thoughts on, on those two movies, uh, why don't you go and, and find her podcast, subscribe and scroll through her backlog and look for it. I think you would enjoy the conversation and the stuff we talked about on that one. Now, getting back to... This one, uh, the film opens up with a 1988 yearbook, uh, which I say is a great year because that was the year I was born. So, uh, you know, perfect, perfect time for me. Um, and in fact, actually, I would have been 13 at the time that this movie uh, was made and takes place. So um, so we're seeing kind of this sixth grade Valentine's Day dance. And we see... Uh, I've got to make sure I get his name right. I know I've got it written down here in my my notes. Uh, It's Jeremy. um, Oh, Jeremy, 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 Jeremy. Got your first name, Jeremy, but where did I put your second name? Jeremy, 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 Jeremy Melton. Sorry for hearing me say Jeremy like a million times there. But Jeremy Melton, uh, who is kind of the typical nerdy kid, very unpopular, um, you know, has not got much skill with the ladies. uh, But, you know, he's kind of trying to go at this from a very positive perspective. And he starts going up to the girls that he kind of had crushes on. um, And kind of the yearbook shows this as it's kind of intercutting with Uh, the dance and showing the pictures of our main characters, like when they were at this age and when they've grown up. So it starts with Shelly and he asks Shelly to dance with him and she says no. Then he moves on to Lily. Lily says the same. Moves on to Paige. Says the same. Now when he gets to Kate, Kate doesn't quite shrug him off. Uh, At least she's kind of nice about it. She says, well, maybe later. And he's like, okay, maybe later. Um... And then he moves on to Dorothy. And now this kind of pattern, this sequence is very important later on in the film uh, because it is how things kind of um, come together, not necessarily come together, but how they kind of unravel. Like it's it's the sequence of events uh, of, of how things happen. But um, Dorothy, during this time in the sixth grade, she's heavy set. Uh, she's not having any guys come and ask her 
to dance. Uh, so he, you know, heads over there and asks her to dance, and she says, okay. And then it kind of progresses to them kissing under the bleachers, uh, you know, like as kids do. But then the bullies find them, and they start making fun of her. Um, I can't remember if they call her a bull or they call her a heifer or they call her, uh, you know, cow or something. I know that they call her some very negative things. And so they're making uh, fun of of her. And then one of them kind of um, or she makes the comment so that she's not being made fun of that. He attacked her. And so now all the the boys kind of get defensive and they start picking on him. They dump punch over his head. They uh, his nose starts to bleed and um, he's stripped in in front of the entire school dance and, and embarrassed. So, um, also at this time, as we're seeing kind of the credits roll, we really, we can see that this is actually based on a novel by Tom Savage. Um, I was looking it up before we started recording and it is, it's apparently a very different from this. I was like, I was hoping it would be very similar because there are some things that, um, I want explained about the end of this film. And I was like, well, maybe the book actually explains it. But from what I can tell from the description of the book, about the only thing that is similar is that a prank happens to a a guy uh, and now it's revenge later on. So uh, I'm a little bit disappointed in that, but maybe I'll still go back and read it. Who knows? Um, So now we jump 13 years later. We're at a nice restaurant and we are introduced to Jason uh, Marquette and we don't know at this time who uh, Catherine Heigl's character is, uh, but it is Shelley. So they're on a date. He's referring to himself in the third person. He is the total typical douchebag Chad type character who thinks he's so impressive to everybody else, uh, but really impresses no one. Uh, she's even writing help me in her, her salad dressing and is just ready to get out of there. Um, He's so awful, though. And, of course, he also ends up having, like, something in his teeth, and she points it out, and he gets a little bit embarrassed. Um, They order the check. He looks at the check and immediately is like, oh, my God, this is super expensive. I'm going to be, again, the complete jerk and uh, talk about, well, you had this and I had this. And she gets the message to split the check. Um it doesn't end well. She kind of leaves him there. Uh, he thinks this is going to lead to, you know, sex and, you know, he's going to get a one night stand or whatever he wants out of her. Uh, he still refers to himself in the third por- person, which is just annoying. I don't know why anyone would do that. Um, so whenever you hear me and my co-host talking and I say, Pat, yeah, my best friend and co-host just happens to have the same name as me. So I am not referring to myself in the third person. Um, but he even like as she goes off, he turns to his next kind of prey and finds another woman. And he's like, "Ooh, Jason likes. And it's just so creepy and, and awful. Um, so now we're uh, following Shelly on. She's going to, I guess, like a it's, I guess it's more of the medical school because it's she's not a doctor yet. And it's not a hospital, but she's got a test and she's working, uh, you know, to get her degree or whatever. And so she's um, performing an autopsy 
And of course, you get your typical random noise, runs into an innocent guest. That's another fellow student, wishes her good luck on her uh, exam. Uh, but then she finds on her locker this kind of surprise Valentine card that has a morbid uh, inside writing um, in the card. It's kind of saying like, oh, well, you know, your throat's going to be cut. And um, we don't know who left this there. But as she returns back to uh, the body, she gets ready to cut it with the scalpel, but then it breathes. And um, she backs up against a a door, and as you can see in the window from the door, that's where the actual uh, corpse is. As she turns back around, I believe the body is gone. And now we see our first look of the killer. And I really like the design for the... I, I, I'm going to call him the Cupid Killer. Doesn't quite get a name throughout the movie, but he's wearing a Cupid mask, um, which I think it's it's a perfect creepy Cupid mask. Uh, it's got kind of the gold locks hair, um, the cherubic face, uh, and then basically just wears a black slicker. Like, it's just a black... Uh, coat, black pants, black boots, black gloves, just a very simplistic design for a killer. Uh, and I think it's very effective, a, a very effective look. Um, of course, you know, gets chased around the hospital. Uh, she comes up with kind of an ingenious idea, but at the same time, it's really stupid because there's no outlet to the room that she finds herself trapped in. And all that's in there now are body bags And so she decides to hide in one, thinking, okay, maybe he won't check them all. Well, it's ingenious to kind of hide in one, but it would be be more so if there was an outlet to the room, so where, okay, that might catch the killer's eye, but um, since there's an outlet, then there might be a reason for the killer to be like, okay, not all... She'd be stupid to hide in one of these. I'm going to go on into the next room because he starts opening them up, looking at the bodies, finally tires of that, and then just starts sticking them with the knives and finally uncovers hers and slits her throat. So um, we are also um, we see a nosebleed, and this is kind of a, a hint about who the killer potentially is. Um, as we saw with Jeremy 13 years ago, he got a nosebleed as well. Now, this is where I said that the things with the, with the um, sequence of who said no to Jeremy at the dance, this is where it starts to take place. Shelly was the first girl that he asked to dance with him, and uh, she said no. Now, she's also the first victim 13 years later. Um, so now we're introduced to a grown-up Kate and Paige um, and we're learning that she's not quite broken up with this Adam guy, uh, that he has a drinking problem. Paige is trying to get her to move on and move away from him. Um, Kate is played by, uh, oh, I don't want to get her name wrong, uh, Mar- Marley Shelton. And then Paige is played by Denise Richards. Um, so they go on this kind of speed dating thing. You get the typical weirdos. Uh, you've got the overconfident people, the overshares, the shy guy. Uh, but it doesn't quite really like go anywhere at this point, which is interesting later on in the film, because especially something I picked up. I think it's the first time I picked this up as many times as I've seen this movie. Um, but after they 
leave the speed dating, um, Kate gets a call on her cell phone, and it's Dorothy um, telling her that Shelly is dead. So we go to, like, the next day or maybe a couple days later, and it's at Shelly's funeral. Um, we see that Adam is played by Davey, David Boreanaz, who I love from Angel uh, and Bones. So I really like this actor. And, and I think one of the biggest uh, faults of this film is they've really underused him a lot in here. His character's not really well-developed or well-written, and I think they kind of waste his talents, and they're just kind of going off the the Angel charm. Because I believe at the time, Angel was still on air. Or it was just going off air. So they were definitely using his name and face to kind of draw more buzz to the movie or more attention to it, uh, along with like using someone like Denise Richards as well. And this is Katherine Heigl pre-Grey's Anatomy and Knocked Up and, and her big movies. Uh, so it wasn't like she was as big of a name as she is currently. So uh, I, I just, I really do think that they kind of underused him a little bit. Now, um, you know, we see that he has a bottle of tequila in his car and he's trying to explain to Kate that this is not not his. It's for uh, a buddy who just got this big gig at the paper and it's for celebration for him. Uh, she doesn't quite buy it, but they leave on good terms. Um, and then we see all the girls kind of together. We see Dorothy, we see Lily, we've got Paige, and we've got Kate. Um, and as they're at the funeral and they're kind of walking away, uh, they're stopped by Detective Vaughn, who is kind of investigating uh, Shelley's murder. And uh, he brings up Jason Marquette um, as a person of interest who has gone missing. He's the last person that... Uh, had potentially seen Shelley alive other than the other med student, uh, and now he's missing. Um, the girls don't know anything about this, but he gives them their card to kind of keep it, uh, if anything were to come up or if they find Jason or, or he shows up to one of them, uh, that to call him and then he can um, intercede. So kind of now jump to Dorothy's house, which it's really her father's house, uh, but she still lives there. She has now received a very grim uh, Valentine's Day card with the initials JM on the card. I can't remember, because I might have missed it when I was rewatching this, uh, if Shelley's card had the same initials. Um, the initials are important, but uh, it just, I can't remember, because I know every other subsequent card or gift in the film, rest of the film, has those initials. So I don't know if Shelley's were missed or if they were there. Um, so uh, we are introduced to Campbell, who she met at yoga. Also, at this time now, Dorothy has thinned out. She's more, um, you know, grown up, is very attractive, but she's very self-conscious because she still remembers how she was in, in grade school. And uh, she has her father, who has married this very young um, woman who uh, is probably even, maybe even younger than, than Dorothy, or at least um, right around the same age, who tries to kind of act like she's her mom. But, you know, it's really when it's someone who's kind of your same age, do you really look at them as your stepmother or mother, you know? It, it, it's a good, it's an interesting thing that they kind of introduce, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. Um, but Campbell is someone she met at yoga that she is kind of seeing. Uh, he needs a place to stay, and she offers one. And uh, now we 
kind of jump on to Kate, back to Kate's apartment. Uh, and I wrote down desperate times calls for desperate measures because she, um, gets out of the shower cause she hears a noise. She's still got shampoo in her hair, but now after she gets out of the shower, none of the water works. So she ends up having to dump her head in the uh, toilet to wash her hair. Um, but as she comes out, her door is open and she's hearing the elevator door dinging and she walks out there and she sees a Cupid mask uh, and then her next door neighbor, Rhyming Gary, uh, kind of scares her and is trying to hit on her and it doesn't quite um, work. All right. So now for any of you listeners who are not my age or in your kind of mid to late 20s, you are not going to really understand video dating. Um, so before you had sites like Tinder or Match or eHarmony, um, before the internet really kind of became what it is now today, before people were really launching podcasts and stuff like that, um, video dating was where people would record themselves doing kind of a first date to a camera and then sending it out to people who are signed up for the service and them receiving those tapes and based on those like video interviews, if they were interested in that person or not. It's very outdated. It's obsolete. It no longer happens. But this, God, it probably, for as long as from like maybe the mid to late 80s through the 90s and early aughts, um, that was kind of a form of online dating. Although it was would be a little bit more difficult to catfish somebody with doing that. So maybe we need to go back to it a little bit. Um, so now this is, at, of course, this is at, I think this is at either Paige's apartment or Lily's apartment or they live together. It's not really clear on that. Um, and I can't remember if these were meant for Lily or if they're meant for Paige because Lily has kind of a relationship with her, with her artist that she, I guess, I think she organizes the venues and then the artist, you know, does their their uh, piece. But they're watching these videos and they're kind of laughing about it. But they uh, get a surprise chocolates and card. Um, and the as Lily goes to take a bite out of one of the chocolates, well, she actually bites into the chocolates and then realizes there are maggots in the chocolates. And we see it also again in the card. There's the JM signature. Paige and Lily kind of brainstorm together. They're like, okay, who is it? Could it be this guy? No. Could it be this guy? No. Could it be that? Well, no, that guy's gay. Uh, Oh, it's just they're running through a whole list of people that could fit those initials. And then they finally come up to Jeremy Melton. And Lily doesn't even remember at this time who that is. And um, Paige kind of runs her through it again and and explains it and kind of revives that memory and as they're now later in the evening they are at the art exhibit uh and we're introduced to her partner max um jeremy kind of comes up into the the conversation again and everyone kind of reminisces about it and it's like well where has he been like you know has anyone heard of me he can't be still around or anything like that but we also see um jason at this exhibit as well 
And he's kind of doing his goofy Jason thing. But then as they're like kind of from afar joking with him, he kind of gives them this creepy stare scare. So we're getting kind of hints that there's something maybe not quite right uh, with this Jason Marquette character. And he kind of goes and disappears. Now, everyone ends up getting uh, into the uh, maze. So you have the guys go on one side, the girls go on the other side. Um Max and Lily end up, of course, they're making out in there. And Max has kind of set this up as an opportunity to have a threesome with his like assistant. And Lily doesn't quite have it. Uh, she gets angry with him and walks off. Um, she gets lost in the maze. Uh, and the maze starts kind of glitching because it's vi- like a video maze. Uh, and then our killer kind of shows up again. And I, I really like kind of this scene it's very brief uh and it could be a little bit more gruesome but i think it's still very effective uh so and and it kind of again fits in the motif of the cupid because like what does cupid do he shoots you with his arrow of of love or if you're uh an office fan uh his sparrow of love um and so he gets lily with one arrow and she's kind of recoiling back he gets her with another arrow and now she is hit through like an emergency exit door out into a stairwell and he knocks another arrow, shoots her with the third, sends her over uh, the balcony into a dumpster. And it's convenient because uh, she is supposed to go on a trip out to, uh, to L.A. Uh, they're in San Francisco and she's supposed to be going to L.A. for something else. And so no one is kind of ever quite aware that um, something bad has happened to Lily, nor were they anticipating it because, you know, they didn't know that they were going to be targets. So here we go again with that sequence of events. Uh, Lily was the second person that Jeremy asked to dance. Um, We also get that something's not quite right with Campbell. He kind of gets accosted by this woman there who starts yelling and screaming at him and... um, Dorothy kind of steps in is like, hey, this guy's with me. I don't know who you are. Uh, And, you know, this woman implies that uh, Campbell was kind of a a con artist um, and that Dorothy is going to be the next victim. And it kind of just ends there. It doesn't quite go any further with that. Uh, We kind of then see Kate and Adam having a nice little date and they're just talking about the exhibit and everything. And, um, you know, he's trying to prove that he's not an alcoholic anymore. Uh, In fact, she orders a a Corona and um, he just asks for a club soda and she changes her drink so that, you know, she's not kind of tempting him or uh, putting him in a difficult position. So, um now, again, we have the girls meeting with uh, with Detective Vaughn. Uh, the others don't know where li- that Lily is dead. They talk about uh, Jeremy. Dorothy is convinced it's Jeremy. Um, but uh, Vaughn just it thinks it's pure Jason Marquette, just that this is who it is. Who cares about this guy? Um, but as they uh, leave, like they find out that Uh, or that the reason Jeremy was sent to reform school was because Dorothy reveals that he didn't attack her. Uh, Because of that situation, he was sent to reform school. Uh, We find out later that he was also sent to like a a mental institution. Uh, And again, later on, 
um, we find out that we have no known whereabouts of him currently. Um, so Kate also tells Adam about Jeremy and kind of fills him in on this situation. Uh, we can get back to the police um, station and Vaughn kind of gives him a rundown of that history. Like I was just saying about the mental institution, no, no whereabouts. Uh, they show kind of a computer generated image of like aging him up to uh, what he might be now 13 years later, changing hairstyles, hair colors, contacts, glasses, no glasses. Uh, and he kind of gets really uh, pissy with Kate when she's like, well, are there any pictures? Uh, and he's like, well, if we had pictures, wouldn't we be looking at them? And it's like, hey, she's asking a reasonable question. I mean, this just because you're doing something like with computer graphics doesn't necessarily mean that those are even going to actually represent it. And he, and he also presents the possibility that he could have gotten plastic surgery. So he could look like anybody. Uh, he may not even look like any of these aged up things. And she was just asking what I think is a fairly reasonable question. She's thinking in the moment. Uh, she's not a detective. She's not in law enforcement. Um, she doesn't know what process he's gone through. So it felt a little weird that he would kind of become that that much of a jerk. Um, and then they start running down through the list of who who is dating who. Uh, what do they know about these people? And, you know, she talks about Adam and where his parents are from, what they do, that they're from Seattle, um, that he works at the paper. He writes on sports. Um, Paige isn't really seeing anybody, so there's no issue with that. And Dorothy is seeing Campbell, but she doesn't know Campbell's last name, but he's a dot-com investor. And again, this is something that uh, some of you younger listeners might not know about, but there was a whole dot-com boom in the, I want to say it was like the late 90s and the early aughts where, you know, it was like kind of becoming like the new gold mining um, type thing, but it was a, it ended up kind of busting out and a lot of people would lost a lot of money trying to invest in, in dot-coms. Um, so it seems like maybe this is part of Campbell's grift on Dorothy. Like he's trying to present himself as being a potential uh, business opportunity and trying to get money from her to invest to just run off with on later. Um, so after they run through down those histories of who they're dating and what they know about them, uh, the, uh, Kate and uh, Dorothy leave, but as Paige is trying to leave, Vaughn gets her to stay, and he creepily hits on her, um, and she handles herself very well, especially when she says, Detective, please remove your hand from my thigh, and he goes, Okay, where would you like me to put it? And she summarily says, Try putting it up your own ass. Um, and it was very funny. Kind of puts him in his place. Uh, I, I I really like these characters. I mean, they're horrible people when they were teenager and kind of teenagers, sixth grade age. They didn't treat him uh, Jeremy really well. But the grown up versions of them are kind of well, a little well written. Not completely well written, but they're they're fleshed out enough, and they. Uh, they know what strengths to play and what uh, weaknesses to play. And, uh, you know, that they kind of set up Paige to be this girl who can take care of herself, that is used to men kind of throwing themselves at her, uh, and she knows how to handle herself in that type of situation. 
So um, as this is kind of going on, uh, the Cupid Killer gets into Kate's apartment uh, and unplugs her hot uh, hot iron um, and walks into her room. And there was a little, like, uh, small conversation with with Kate and Adam earlier on that she was saying that some of her underwear was missing and he jokes that he it's he has taken it um but it's just clearly a joke but as the cupid killer is walking into her in, uh, her apartment and into her bedroom we see Gary the creepy rhyming neighbor is trying on her underwear and he's just trying to go oh I'm just not I'm not well man uh, but we get a very kind of brutal scene where he beats down this neighbor uh, with the iron and, uh, in fact, actually, like, sticks it on his cheek, burning him, and then ends up just doing a full swing, uh, you know, in a heavy circle where it just lands down, crushing on his head. Um, and then we also now, we're jumping a little bit further, but uh, we find out that Dorothy's throwing a party, um, Adam gives Kate a Valentine's Day gift, and Kate uh, gives him an IOU uh, written on his kind of uh, jacket cleaner, dry cleaner tag, uh, and gives that to him later. Uh, we find out that the cops have caught Marquette, um, so everybody thinks that, you know, it's all good. Uh, we're at Dorothy's, and everything's kind of getting ready for the, the party. We do discover that Campbell is a con man. His plan is to steal all of her dad's money and leave them destitute. Um, but while he's working on that plan, um, Dorothy calls down to say, hey, we're out of hot water. Can you check the pilot light? Uh, so he goes down, and as he's leaning down to kind of check the light, we see this kind of axe in, um, in like, a stump or something. And uh, after he gets it lit, we see... Or he actually goes to go light it, and it, it uh, the match goes out. And so the camera pans back, and now we see the axe is gone. He lights the match, gets the pilot light on, stands up, and then is just attacked by the killer and is murdered. So now we get to the party time. Uh, we have Brian, who is from the speed dating thing, uh, and Paige kind of go off to go have some fun. Uh, Dorothy is on her own, and she's a little depressed because she doesn't know where Campbell is, and he's supposed to be there. Um, but then we get a little funny scene, and like I said, Paige kind of really handles herself. Uh, Brian is, again, like, is just a jerk uh wants her to just please him and she's like uh-huh yeah sure and so um she ties him up and she's kind of fooling with him she's got him blindfolded and she goes well you still want me to wax you and he says yes and she pours hot wax all over uh his genitals uh just to kind of get this yeah i ain't doing that for you buddy uh so uh, it's really fun and kind and, and enjoyable a little bit um also at this time because max is there at the party we learn that kate never showed up where she was supposed to go um and we also see campbell's former victim um showing up at the party getting kicked out of the party and then sneaking back in and as she sneaks back in she's trying to find um basically everything from Campbell uh, and get her stuff back. Uh, but as she's doing that, she finds the killer. Um, she gets chased around a little bit. She hides in the sauna. 
she finds Campbell's body, and um, as uh, she's thinking that she's good to go, uh, she gets attacked by the killer, thrown into a, a glass pane for a shower. Uh, this is the most gruesome scene of the entire film. This movie has an R rating, uh, but I don't think it fully takes effect of that R rating. Uh, I, I wish it did. I wish it was a little bit more on the gruesome side. I get it's kind of playing more towards the thriller than the horror aspect of things, but they had the R rating. Um, other than like the arrows, and even when you have the iron kill, it's not showing anything. Um, but this is the most brutal bit because like once you, you see her face after she's been thrown in, it's all gashed up. There's glass in there. Uh, and then you have the jagged edges of what's left of the shower door and he jams her neck down onto it. And it's just the most gruesome kill throughout the, mo- and throughout the movie. And I really like it, but I really wish that they had taken more advantage of their R rating. Um, so uh, now we get uh, Dorothy moping around. Uh, Kate tells Dorothy about Lily, but then they start, um, kind of fighting a little bit. Um, we learn that from Vaughn that Marquette was released cause they didn't have, uh, enough evidence. So, um, he is on his way to the party to make sure that they're fine. Uh, Adam begins drinking at the party, which this now creates conflict with Kate because he's supposed to be trying to be teetotal and, and done with the drinking. Now he starts acting like a a, a jerk. Um, now we also get, um, Paige is kind of at the, at a jacuzzi. Uh, we don't know why she went there. Obviously she knows Dorothy, so she knows her way around the house, but she must be just there just to try to cool off and relax a little bit. Um, but, she finds out she's not alone. Uh, a bottle and rose show up on the edge. Uh, and then she kind of gets trapped in the jacuzzi. Uh, he closes the door down and he starts taking a power drill and starts drilling holes through the cover. Uh, he manages to get her shoulder, but I guess he decides he doesn't want to do any more cat and mouse with her so he just ends up throwing it while it's still plugged in and electrocutes her to death and that's i think the most disappointing kill throughout the entire film like i felt like denise richards deserved more of a uh, an on-screen death moment like a a momentous one and this one was just kind of like it, it was working up to be something with the drilling through the cover but it just kind of fell apart when he's just like yeah fine just throw it in there you're you're done um, so this, of course, knocks out the whole power. Um, we have this kind of... Uh, I, I jumped the gun a little bit. This is now when Dorothy and Kate start to kind of fight. Uh, Dorothy is saying, it's Adam. How do you know You know that he didn't get plastic surgery and that he's a killer? So now we're starting to wonder uh, if it's Jeremy. Kate throws out there, well, hey, it's C- Campbell doesn't have a good history either. M- maybe it's him, but... <laughs> Excuse me. We already know for a fact that it's not Campbell. Um, So Dorothy goes off on her own. Uh, Kate's wondering where Vaughn is. So she tries to call him and she starts hearing the phone ring out in the yard. So as she's tracking down where the ringing is coming from, uh, she finds the koi pond and she sees the IOU tag that she had written uh, for Adam. 
And as she goes to reach for it, Vaughn's head just kind of surfaces up from the pond. Uh, so we never see his kill. We don't know when he was killed, how long he's been dead. Um, and I kind of don't like that we don't get to see that or we don't get any context for that. Um, so she runs back into the house and Adam is coming creepily down the stairs. Uh, he says, dance with me, Kate. Um, so we're kind of assuming now that Adam is the killer. Uh, so she, um, ends up hitting him over the head. Um, she begins to start finding some of the bodies. Uh, she goes into, uh, Dorothy's dad's, uh, office and gets his gun. Um, but yet when she starts going up the steps again, the killer attacks her and, um, they both end up falling down the steps and kind of getting knocked down at the same time. And as uh, Kate is starting to get up and wants to kind of like pick up, you know, take off the mask, um, the killer wakes up too, gets ready to attack her. And all of a sudden gunshots start going off and the killer is being shot. And we see that it's Adam now coming down the staircase with the gun. He lifts the mask off and it reveals that Dorothy is the killer. So this was kind of the spoiler point here. This is the main spoiler ish part of this uh, episode. Um, so this is interesting. I, th I do because uh, as they're talking after Dorothy, after they find out that the killer is Dorothy, um, Kate can't rationalize that in her mind. So she is. Uh, kind of going like, what What the heck? Why, how did this happen? Why did she do this? She was just happy a few days ago. And there's a really interesting line, and this is what I'm saying. Like They've really underused uh, David Boreanaz in this role in that they didn't really flesh out his character a whole lot. Because uh, he says some, like, a, this is the one like really good line from him throughout the entire film, but it's like, you know, so, someone who's this alone and angry never dies, never goes away. And at some point they have to act out on it. Um, so this is where now as the movie's ending, it reveals or leaves us off with a cliffhanger. We don't know how to take it, at least myself. Maybe you guys who have seen this movie or maybe after you've watched this movie, you understand it better than I. Uh, I mean, I, I kind of can figure this out, or at least I understand how it can be explained. But as he's kind of holding Kate, and they do have this kind of nice little moment where Kate says, I love you, and Adam says, I love you too, I always have. But there's a little bit different of a spin on that because, um, you know, when <laughs> when the film is starting to close out, uh, she's kind of got her head up against his chest and he's setting his head on top of hers. All of a sudden blood starts dripping on her cheek and the camera pans up and he has the nosebleed. So this is where my mind kind of explodes about with this film. Okay. We get the idea. Okay. If he is Jeremy, he's gone the plastic surgery route, but also Unless Kate never met his parents and he's only talked about his parents, okay, then that can fix that situation. But then were Adam slash Jeremy in league with Dorothy for these murders? Also, 
why would Dorothy have sent herself a card and tried to act all innocent about it? Was Dorothy kind of uh, forced into the getup and not realize it? And was when she attacked Kate, it was to get Kate's attention. Now, what throws that theory off is... Uh, usually when we see that kind of uh, shell game trick in a horror film or in a thriller film, the person under the mask is usually gagged, um, so they can't say anything. Uh, There's some type of restraint from them from being able to remove the mask or something like that. And we don't have any of that when Adam removes the mask. So... Were they in league? Were they not in league? Was it all Adam? Was it not Adam? Is Adam Jeremy? I'm inclined to think yes, especially within the process of the of who was off when, because it does go Shelly, Lily, Paige. Kate was the only one who wasn't really disingenuous with them. She turned them down, but she turned them down nicely in the sense of, well, maybe later. Maybe later still gave Jeremy at that time a sense of hope that maybe they'll have that dance. And Dorothy still betrayed Jeremy uh, just to try to keep her own uh, self-interest. So it would make sense why Kate's the only one left. And this is maybe the uh, kind of the culmination of that maybe later. This is that now that later Jeremy has won the girl that he really wanted, even though he had crushes on all of these girls. Uh, it, it's really like I, every time I think about it or every time I'm trying to unravel what this end means, I, I go down this black hole because I'm like, but there's this and then there's this. But why would they do this and why would they do that? And that's why when uh, I realized that this was um and based off a novel, I wanted to look at maybe the novel explains this out more. And it it might to an extent. Um, but it, it just uh, one. I think I forgot to mention this point because I know I said about the dating thing. So the shy guy that's at the dating thing at the beginning, uh, after Paige kind of pours the wax on, on the Brian guy and she comes down the steps, the, the guy's there in the background um, and he wants to say something to Paige, but he doesn't because he's a shy guy. What I find really weird about that is like, why are these guys from the speed dating thing at this party? Like, how do they know Dorothy? Do, do you have to know Dorothy to get at this party or what? But I mean, it's California. It's a different city. It's a different state. It's a different lifestyle uh, than what we're used to here in the good Ohio. So I really like this movie. It has fault. It has some bad moments. Uh, writing could have been sharpened up a little bit. I do like the cinematography. Um, I do feel like also scenes happen uh, really quick and inconsistent. Like uh, when they have um, the the art exhibit and then immediately afterwards she's at dinner with Adam. But we have no kind of through point that kind of shows that that's happening. We have another scene also like when she's like trying to look up Jeremy on the computer pre-Google. Um Adam all of a sudden shows up and they're like, he's like, oh, we were supposed to have dinner. Were we supposed to have dinner? Oh, we were supposed to have dinner. Like we never see some of these conversations take place. So we have things happen that don't seem to happen with any context. Um, And I mean, it's it's not a short, short movie, but it is relatively short. It's an hour and 36 minutes. 
it might have been able to flesh out some more by adding about 10 to 20 extra minutes just to give us maybe more of an understanding of what was happening, what that big final twist reveals or what it actually means. Uh, Because I think that that's the biggest fault because the movie doesn't it doesn't need to tell us, but it needs to kind of show us. And it's showing us, but it's also not showing us enough to understand fully what the... No- like, we get it throughout the film, and we get it that Jeremy has the nosebleed, and the Cupid Killer continuously has the nosebleed. But, again, we don't understand what was the relationship between Adam and Dorothy. If they were maybe working together, did he force her into the, the costume... Um, or was she having the nosebleeds? Like, because we do, we don't know, um, so we don't know if maybe she was the killer the full time around, and Adam was just the protector, even though he is Jeremy, and but he wasn't actually seeking out revenge on these girls, but he because Kate was the one he was for all the time, and uh, Dorothy is the one who's going through kind of the self guilt about everything that had happened to Jeremy and blaming her friends and her friends having these perfect lives. As you can see, I'm just going down these random theories and thoughts through my head because I just don't quite know what to make of the end. But I also, I think that's what makes me love this movie. Um, It doesn't get a high, high score from me, but it gets a a decent score. I'm going to land on a three out of five. Um, I will continuously watch this movie throughout the rest of my life. Uh, I hope by talking about it, I'm introducing people who are unfamiliar with this film and that they watch it for the first time. And it also is kind of a little bit of a time capsule. I mean, I was entering my teenage years in the early aughts, and this is kind of a throwback. It's still have the old box-style TVs, kind of pre-Google, pre-YouTube, um, you know, you didn't have the internet that you have today. You have the old videotape dating thing. Um, so maybe this this movie, I think this movie has kind of developed more of a cult following since its release because I know it didn't do great. Uh, critics hated it. Its meta score is really low. Its IMDb score is really low. Um, although its IMDb score, my score is higher than what its IMDb score is, but if you look at kind of about the same, we're probably about on level with what we think about the movie per se. But uh, I I find this movie enjoyable. It is not a waste of time. It's fun. And if you're in the mood for a light horror thriller mystery movie, uh, I think you would enjoy this one. So uh, I think that's going to do it for us. Um, I hope everyone has a wonderful Valentine's Day. I'm uh, going to try to enjoy it myself as well. I don't really have any plans uh, to do anything, but I know I am going to probably be going to the to the gym and get myself kind of in, in, in a good shape and, uh, and have myself in a good mindset. I'm planning on seeing Sonic and fantasy island hopefully uh so it'll be a little bit more of a me day on valentine's day so uh i hope everyone has a great time with their significant others uh i hope you enjoy the episode if you saw um my tweet today or on our facebook post we are about uh let me double check because i know that number has kind of changed since i last saw it 
we are currently at 1,951 followers on Twitter. Um, we're trying to do a boost to get to 2,000. Uh, and when we get to 2,000, we're going to be doing a giveaway. And I think I can go ahead and announce here what the giveaway will be. It will be a digital copy, 4K digital copy of Joker. Uh, you know, Joaquin just won the Oscar for best actor for that movie. Uh, I'm really excited uh, to be able to do this as a giveaway. Um, so if you want to enter into the giveaway, uh, you have to follow us on uh, Twitter at Critics NT Cynics. Follow us on Facebook um, at the Critics Not uh, Critics Not Cynics podcast. Uh, you need to s- subscribe uh, to the podcast on either iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, CastBox, whatever you use uh, that you can find us on for your podcast services. Rate and review the podcast, especially if you're using iTunes. Uh, rate us on Facebook. Uh, that would be fantastic as well. And uh, stick around. So once we hit that number... Uh, we will be announcing who the winner is here on the podcast, and um, I'm really excited about it. Uh, so that's all my plugs. That's it. I hope you guys enjoy this special episode. We should still have a, uh, an episode releasing on Monday. That one will be focusing on Avenue 5. Uh, I think it's got about three episodes we're going to be covering on that, uh, and I think four three episodes for the outside outsider that we'll be covering um we do have a birds of prey review coming up soon uh that will probably not be this week uh it'll probably be the next week we will be doing uh another two episode review of star trek picard uh leslie and i will be meeting for that one uh to go over so we'll be covering two episodes in that one uh, so that we're not doing like another two hour <laughs> podcast for you guys. But that one seems to be doing really well. I'm really glad to see uh, it's seeming to be a little bit popular. So I'm hoping everyone's enjoying our take and our, our nerding out on that subject. So that's going to do it for us, guys. Happy Valentine's.